The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to You Are Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life's Challenges with April J. Ford. April has faced adversity in her life, such as childhood sexual abuse and becoming a widow and a single parent at 32. Through all of her challenges, she has managed to rise above them and conquer her life. She'll help you to do the same. Now, here is your host, April Ford. Welcome to You're Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life's Challenges. I'm your host, April J. Ford, and I'm doing something a little bit different this week. I'm operating out of my comfort zone, and as we know, when we go out of our comfort zone, that's the best time for us to grow and learn. I'm bringing on an expert guest, Megan Kennedy, and her segment today is Epilepsy Didn't Seize Her Day, Don't Let It Seize Yours. You are not alone. And before I bring her on, of course, I always want to say a warm hello of gratitude to all of the You Are Not Alone listeners out there globally. And for our new listeners out there, welcome. I offer this show as an example for people who may feel alone during adversity, that they are not alone, and that there's hope. I've had her overcome insurmountable challenges that I don't wish on anyone, such as childhood sexual abuse and becoming a widow and single parent at only 32 years old. Your journey called life is filled with happiness, success, fulfillment, and even disappointments and adversities. I'm here to say that there's golden blessings to be discovered even when life throws you a curveball and you can still experience joy. I created the formula in four steps on how to have a roadmap to rise above life's challenges. These four steps are recognize, respond, reevaluate, and rebalance. Now, this roadmap is a path to becoming healthy and then prosper beyond your wildest dreams. It gives you a guide on finding who you are and how to handle the challenges. And basically, this is how you will transition and transform into who you're truly meant to be. I believe on taking a holistic approach on implementing these four steps. So this show will bring on expert guests focused on empowerment. There's gold to be discovered in their challenges. Know that you're not alone. Get inspired, uplifted, and empowered every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Pacific, here on Voice America. So on with today's show, why should you care about epilepsy? Each year, approximately 50,000 people die from epilepsy-related causes, and actually this is more than the number of people who die from breast cancer or drunk driving. Yet those with epilepsy feel alone because it's often misunderstood, underrepresented, or just unsupported. And our guest today, Megan Kennedy, will share her story of this hidden disorder. The major isolation and obstacles she's had to overcome has allowed her to start an organization, the 
Epilepsy Education Everywhere to bring awareness globally. Megan, welcome to You Are Not Alone. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing fine. I'm sorry to hear that you're outside of your comfort zone, but hopefully we'll have you right <laughs> inside your comfort zone by the end of this show. Yeah, I'm still learning about this topic. And, you know, like I told my listeners, this is really a space where it's unheard of, you know, it's misunderstood. So, you know, before we get into it, tell our audience basically who Megan is, because before you were even diagnosed with epilepsy, tell us some about the challenges you face, you know, even as a childhood of feeling alone, you know, being in a military family. Um, yeah, part of being in a military family is moving. People who know me now actually are shocked to know that in high school I was a wallflower. And, of course, my friends in high school, when they saw me at my 20-year reunion, I was the one getting everyone out on the dance floor, and they were shocked to you know, wonder what had happened to me. So let's just say I finally came out of my shell. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say I never had friends, but I was always very cautious because even though we didn't move as often as other military families, you didn't have the luxuries of communication that we have today, like, you know, email and cell phones and Skyping. Right. You know, back right. then it was back to paying phone minute by minute you would have to write letters, you know, <laughs> passing notes in class. Way. <laughs> so it, it was hard to stay in touch with people and not to say there weren't people I stayed in touch with for a long time, but you know, over time, a lot of those friendships would lapse when you moved away, but you always develop new ones and everything. So that was one of the challenges. Um, I'd say the biggest challenge for me in high school simply was I got bullied as a freshman in, co- in high school. And it was simply because I I saw someone taking drugs and they offered me drugs. I told my parents about it, who called the school, and you know all the chains of command were followed. But next, that not only did they get in trouble, but other kids got in trouble, and everyone blamed me um, to the point of them actually getting off the bus with me and pushing me down on the ground. Verbal abuse, physical abuse, even writing death threats on my locker. My parents eventually had to go to the police. Um, to get this to stop. So that was not a fun time and not the way you like to spend high school, especially when you've just moved to a new community a few months beforehand and you're just getting to know people. So that was a little bit of a reason I was a wallflower back then. But like I said, people who know me now never believe that I was a wallflower. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like it came from multiple inflection points of your you know, isolation and feeling alone. One, just the dynamics and circumstances of, you know, being in a military family where you move around a lot. And then the incident in high school when, you know, there was social pressure, peer pressure of you to take drugs and you um, stood and stood your ground and said no and, you know, told your parents and authorities and whatnot and your, your friends or or people at school turned on you for basically, you know, shedding light on them. Right, yes, which is unfortunate, but, you know, at least that's all in the past. Mm-hmm. So what I, explain to our listeners out there, um, what is epilepsy? You know, are seizures and epilepsy the same thing? No. Um, a seizure, having epilepsy means that you have seizures, but having a seizure does not mean you have epilepsy. 
Okay. Okay. And when uh, were you diagnosed with it? I wasn't diagnosed until I was a freshman in college, actually. And just to give you some examples of when a, you know, a seizure might not be considered epilepsy. For example, my college roommate, she has diabetes. And when her blood sugar would get low, she was prone to having tonic-clonic seizures. Now, most people might not be familiar with the word tonic-clonic. They might be more familiar with the term grand mal. But um, years ago, the um, International League Against Epilepsy rephrased some of the terminology, and grand mal seizures were renamed as tonic-clonic seizures. But she was prone to those seizures with her diabetes. Um, Someone going through alcohol withdrawal might have them. Someone who's been in a major accident and some had some brain trauma might have a seizure. But again, those seizures aren't epilepsy-related. Now, it's when you have ongoing recurring seizures or you're diagnosed with a seizure syndrome such as Dravet or Deuce or there's many others out there, that's when they determine that you have epilepsy. There's actually over 40 types of seizures and seizure syndromes out there. So is it just the frequency that, you know, delineates no, whether you have seizures? No, it's not the frequency because at my worst, I was having six to eight seizures a month, which actually felt like I was um, in hell, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. And I, at one point, actually asked my parents if I could move home because I was afraid to live on my own with the way my epilepsy was going and how it was affecting my life. I was afraid something would happen. I'd had a lot of things happen to me from you know being on a plane and waking up in an emergency room to being in a second-story apartment building and waking up outside, having walked down a flight of stairs and leaving my apartment door wide open because I walked out of my complex during a seizure. And that's that's one of the challenges that you faced, wasn't it? Of, Correct. You know, your driver's license was revoked. Um, I think you mentioned to me while we were talking prior to the show, like your degree was affected. And what are some other things that caused a ripple effect of challenges and, you know, having to deal with um, epilepsy? Yeah, like you said, there's been a lot of things, and at my worst, it was six to eight a month. Now I'm, you know, under control with medications, which is good. But just to let you know, frequency, just what you said before, there are people out there who have hundreds of seizures a day and really have no quality of life and can't get any control, which is unfortunate. Some of the ripple effects for me, as we mentioned, being on a plane and waking up in an emergency room, Mm -hmm. yes, something like that is going to affect anyone in their life. Having a driver's license um, taken away. When it first happened, it wasn't that big a deal because I was in college, I was at school, you know, you're walking everywhere. But later on when it was taken again a second time because my seizures were getting worse and the doctor said it's not safe for you to drive anymore, I did drive myself home from the doctor's office that day, but that's because I was alone um, at at the doctor's office that day. But the next day I got on my bike and I rode my bike to work and then I was either biking or busing and carpooling to work. So you learn your ways around, and mm-hmm. you learn how to work around whatever, whatever you have available, work with the system that you have available to you. You know, needless to say, finances have always been an issue, especially when it come, came to health insurance. When I got my first full-time job, I had seven different health insurance options available to me. And this is before, of course, we have the Affordable Health Care Act now, so this is before... Um, when they could 
say that you couldn't be insured with pre-existing conditions. The day that I graduated from college, I was dropped off of my parents' insurance. I was able to get insurance at $100 a month that would cover anything but that was not epilepsy-related. Oh, it wasn't covered. Okay. It wasn't covered. And when I finally got a full-time job and was able to get onto a um, health plan, um, I was able to eliminate five of the options right away because they wouldn't cover pre-existing conditions. So that made me, that I was able to narrow down those options pretty quickly. So, so how can you, go back to, how can you tell the difference of, is it just a seizure or is it um, epilepsy? Well, a seizure is going to be a seizure no matter what. It's the doctors determine whether it's a isolated incident mm-hmm. or if it is um, actually going to be an ongoing recurring situation that you're going to need long-term treatment for. So the doctor can determine was there something that happened at that time. They're going to do different things. They're going to do blood work to make sure that there's nothing else going on. For example, like I said with my roommate, you know, she had her diabetes, so she knew why she had a seizure when she had one. Um, They're going to rule out options with blood work. They're going to do what's called an EEG, an electroencephalogram, and they're going to be testing your brain waves and looking for any type of brainwave activity that is indicative of seizures. And then they will also do, typically do either an MRI or a CAT scan. And what they're doing in those cases is they're looking to see if you might have a brain tumor or a lesion or something else that might be causing the seizures. And if that is the case, is it operable? Can they take it out? So basically, they're doing everything they can to eliminate the options and determine if it's something else that is treatable. And if you are continuing to have seizures or if you show that you, are, you do have these indications of epilepsy, such as the, um, the abnormal brainwaves that are indicative of epilepsy, they will be putting you on anti-seizure medication, of which there are over 25 options here in the United States, to see about getting those seizures under control. There are other treatment options as well, but most doctors, the medication is the first choice unless they have a certain type of syndrome because of some syndromes, certain things such as the ketogenic diet are shown to have a better effect than the medications. So again, it's always everyone is on a case-by-case basis as to what is the best treatment for them. But as I said, med, you know, the doctors tend to try the medication first. Right. And we'll, we'll get into that in our, in our next segment because I do oh, okay. want to talk about okay. other I'm modalities the of, um, you know, healing medication versus other, you know, other treatments. So let's okay, do this. Gotcha. Let's go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, Megan, I really want to talk about the statistic on, you know, if more people die from epilepsy compared to cancer and drunk driving, why do you think it's so uh, misunderstood, underrepresented, and then unsupported? So when we come back, we'll hear more from Megan. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Has life ever thrown you a curveball called challenges or maybe even a boulder called adversity? You are not alone. 
How to Rise Above Life's Challenges with Grace, Gratitude, Love, and Joy is about finding the gold in life's challenges. April J. Ford shares how tragedies from her past taught her the alchemy of adversity. Who we are inside and the way we handle the challenges we face is how we transition and transform into who we are truly meant to be. Pick up your copy today at www.feeljoyagain.com or by clicking on the link on the You Are Not Alone show page. When is the last time you saw sparkles of life in your day? Each day holds a treasure, the extra in the ordinary. It is too easy to miss them because they're familiar and we take them for granted. If you want to add sparkle to your day, listen to Mighty Gems, spotlighting everyday jewels with Dee Lee. She offers a new way to view the world and to discover your own mighty gems in daily life. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. If you're looking for tips for personal success, look no further than DJ and the Bear, keeping you at the top of your game with your hosts, leadership and personal effectiveness consultant, Deetta Jones and Richard Dent, formerly of the champion Chicago Bears. Together as a husband and wife team, they've raised a family, owned two successful businesses, led major philanthropic initiatives through their foundation, and lived the ultimate lifestyle. Find out their secrets. Listen every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com tuned into you are not alone to reach april j ford or her guest on today's program you may call in to 1-888-346-9141 again that's 1-888-346-9141 if you'd rather send april an email her email address is april j ford at joys now back to you are not alone how to rise above life's challenges Welcome back. I'm your host, April J. Ford, and my guest today is Megan Kennedy. She is the founder of Epilepsy Education Everywhere, and we've been talking about why people should care about epilepsy. More than 50,000 people actually die from epilepsy-related causes, and that's actually more than a number of people who die from breast cancer or drunk driving. Megan, why do you think, you know, with those statistics, why do you think it's so mis, you know, understood, unsupported or underrepresented when it comes to epilepsy, if those statistics are accurate of, you know, more deaths are caused in this arena compared to cancer or drunk driving? I know. I first uh, came across that statistic on a meme, and they had found the stats. I forget if it was on the, from the CDC or the NIH or NLM. It was, you know, one of those big sites where they had actually cited the information from, and I was shocked to see the difference. Now, when I say epilepsy-related causes, it's not just, you know, people can die from a number of reasons. For example, if you remember before, I mentioned how I walked down a flight of stairs and luckily mm-hmm. made it. But, you know, there are people who have accidents when they have a seizure. Um, There are people that we've heard stories where someone has drowned during a seizure. I actually was on a, um, in the tub once and had a seizure and started going under, but luckily 
became alert before I went down. Thank goodness. Um, but needs to say, a lot of things can happen. And then also there is what's known as SUDEP, sudden unexpected death due to epilepsy, um, which for no known reason people, you know, suddenly die, whether it's the seizures keep going and going and going, their body can't handle it, or unfortunately a parent might go and find out in the morning that their child died in bed during the night um, due to SUDEP. And it's one thing that's still misunderstood, and there's a lot to learn about it. As for why it's not talked about, that's really hard to say. There, you know, I haven't come across anything specifically saying why. It's more just talking to people. But from talking to other friends who are fellow advocates such as myself, or even from talking to our customers, one customer, for example, he wanted to volunteer with us, and he had epilepsy, and he did volunteer with us for a while, but he did not want anyone to know that he had epilepsy. He was busy Oh, that he personally he had epilepsy? He didn't want anybody to know that he had it He didn't it want well? us to tell people he had epilepsy, so whenever he talked about it, he talked about it as if it was his cousin who had epilepsy. Oh, okay. But the okay. thing is, he was busy job hunting, and he didn't want anyone to know about the epilepsy because he was afraid that... He might someone he might happen to say something to someone that he might be doing an interview with or might be they might know the person he's doing an interview with and then they tell him that they had epilepsy and they might discriminate against him. Over over time, unfortunately, people with epilepsy have felt discriminated against for various reasons. To give you a little bit of hi- a, a short history lesson here on epilepsy, um, epilepsy actually was first documented back in the Kota Hammurabi over four thousand years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Like I said, I'm and still, at the beginning of the show, Hammurabi, I did preface that I'm still learning, so yeah. <laughs> I didn't know oh, what did trust that. Me. Yeah, I, okay. I'm still learning, too, even after all these years, after 29 years of with epilepsy, I'm still learning. You know, there's, I, I figure you, you never know everything. You're always learning more. But in the Code of Hammurabi, it stated that if a slave was sold and then started having seizures, the slave could then be given back to the original owner and the person who bought him would be paid back. No one wanted anything to do with someone who had epilepsy. People with epilepsy in the Bible were considered to be demonically possessed. In the Middle Ages, we were considered witches. Mm. And um, even here in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they started what they um, called epilepsy colonies here in the United States. Um, They actually started overseas first, and the ones that were founded here were the one that I'm actually researching was um, based on one over in, in Germany, in Bielefeld, Germany, and I'm researching one that is called Craig Colony for Epileptics. That was around from 1896 to 1982, I believe, or 84 was when it closed its doors. But, but are the colonies um, supposed to support the population well, of, the original of, plan or to isolate I, them? When I first learned about the epilepsy colonies, I actually was, like, my, my initial reaction was, oh, my gosh, they treated us like lepers, too. Mm-hmm. That was my initial reaction. Isolate, How, right? However, as I read more about it, I realized that the people who wanted to start it, they were philanthropists. They had the right idea. They knew that the people with epilepsy weren't insane. They didn't belong in the insane asylums with the people who truly were mentally ill. Um, but... They needed to separate them so that they could focus on treating people with epilepsy. 
Okay. So that they could determine what is the cause, what are some better treatments for this. So they wanted the people to not just be self-supportive and be able to support the colony through being a gardener, a sower, a cooker, you know, whatever it was that it took to maintain the colony, but they wanted them to learn a trade so that when they were released from the colony, when they did get better, they could be self-supportive and no longer be wards of the state. So as I said, they had the right concept. The downside is the people being sent to these colonies were the worst-case scenario. So it was hard to find the right treatment, especially since back then they only really had one treatment until the early 1900s, and that was bromides. Um, later on, more options started becoming available. So, But even after that, we had the eugenics movement in which people with epilepsy, there were many states that either denied people with epilepsy the right of marriage or forced them to be sterilized because they felt that it was genetic and they didn't want to be passed from generation to generation. Now, epilepsy has been shown in some cases to have some genetic roots, but even so, only 30% of people with epilepsy today know why they have epilepsy, if it's based back to some injury, if it's genetic, maybe they had meningitis or encephalitis. Most people with epilepsy, myself included, do not know, Don't know why. Where they're ep- why they have epilepsy, what is the root cause of it. Okay. But so going even back though it's, to the statistic, I think I am just picking up from you on, you know, if it's so many deaths per year. I mean, you hear so much about right. mm-hmm. breast cancer or drunk driving. You can go to the grocery store and the cashier will ask you if you'd like to donate towards, you know, breast cancer or, right. um, or drunk driving. Uh, but is it, like you said, maybe it's the lack of awareness or maybe the shame as well within the community for those that do have it and as well as facing um, the discrimination, right? I mean, are it's those valid points and reasons? There, there are people like me who have no problem getting out and speaking about it and letting people know about it, but there are a lot of people who simply, they, they would rather not talk about it not let people know that they have it because they're not sure how people are going to react. Um, A study from an Ohio university actually showed that children with epilepsy were twice as likely to be bullied compared to other children. And, you know, yes, I was bullied in high school, but my my bullying had nothing to do with epilepsy since I wasn't diagnosed until I was 18. But I can understand from those people how you don't want to be bullied. You don't want your child to be bullied just because they happen to act a little differently for a minute or two because they're having a seizure. Right. So it, it is still quite misunderstood, and these rules, these eugenics rules I was mentioning, were actually not even taken off the books. The final ones weren't taken off the books until the 80s. These they're colonies still fairly, are still in existence yeah. in the 80s. So it's still fairly recent in regards to getting people with epilepsy out there into society and, for lack of a better phrase, mainstreaming because of all of these other things that were in existence for, for decades and, you know, in, in our past. So we've come a long way, as I always tell people, we've, we've come a long way. We just still have a ways to go. 
Right. But where did you go when you, you were first diagnosed? Um, I think you said when you're 18 or 19 while you're just starting in college. I mean, obviously you felt alone and scared when you had your first seizure. I mean, who did you turn to? Yeah, I was actually in my dorm room by myself on the phone with my best friend and she was a thousand miles away in Virginia in her dorm room. So I was on the phone with her. She stayed on the phone with me until I could communicate with her. Um, made me promise to see the doctor. So the next day I went and saw the doctor who then said, I want you to go see a neurologist. And, of course, then I reached out to my parents. Luckily, my mom is a nurse. So, you know, she has a better understanding of how things really, you know, really are when it comes to something like epilepsy, that it's nothing to be ashamed about. It's nothing that you can control. It just, it's just a part of your life. You just have to learn to deal with it. So I did reach out to my parents and my family. Um, an aunt drove me to the doctor's office for my first neurologist visit because I was a 1,000 miles away from my parents. But the people I was, you know, reaching out to the, you know, the most were my friends and family, especially my roommates and my college friends who were right there, there with me as all of this was going on. So I, I did have support. But um, neither say, even though they were there supporting me, it's, they didn't quite understand exactly everything. I still remember my public speaking class doing a presentation on epilepsy because, like you, I'm always learning more about it. And back then, it was the bare, the bare basics I was learning. We had two peer reviewers, and one of them on her, I'm assuming a she by the handwriting, but she wrote, thank you, I have epilepsy too. And she never came and said a word to me about it. Well, and it goes back to that maybe shame of um, being accepted or rejected, right? Right, right. And, you know, I've had my times where I felt discriminated against because of my epilepsy. But you just work your way through it. Okay, so let's go ahead and take our next break. And when we come back, I'd like for Megan to share um, some of the you know, path that she has gone through in her journey of coping with epilepsy as far as, you know, is it the medication route or other modalities that she explored? So when we come back, we'll speak more with Megan. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Joy's Gift is a 501c3 nonprofit that empowers women and youth to transition from tragedy to triumph, from loss or sexual abuse. Our program emphasizes a foundation of developing true self-mastery of independence, Our services provide a support system and infrastructure of wraparound resources for services focused on mental, emotional, and spiritual healing. Restore someone's hope, love, peace, and help them develop self-mastery of independence by sharing your gifts with Joy's Gift at www.joysgift.org. That's joysgift.org. Our world is shrinking. We get information across the planet as fast and as easily as across the street. Lately, it seems as if none of it is good. The world has become so addicted to negativity, fear, drama, and our kids are learning fast. Are you worried about your teen? Do you know where they are, who they're with, and what they're really up to? Power of Peace Radio tackles real issues that are changing the minds of the next generation. 
Get involved in the conversation on Monday evenings with Kit Cummings. Pop Radio is about interrupting and redirecting those who are on a dangerous course and bringing light into dark places with powerful topics and real stories. We bring hope to those who need it most because hope is the new dope. Power of Peace Radio, Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Like so many others, do you put on a game face to the world? The pressures of work, home, and personal life exerts its toll on us on a daily basis. Yet, it feels risky to let others see what lies beneath the facade, let alone talk about it. What would be possible if we could connect with each other at a deeper level in the place where our shared humanity lies? Tune into Stories from the Heart of Leadership with host Shamin Sadek to discover how to do this in your own life. Listen live every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to You Are Not Alone. To reach April J. Ford or her guest on today's program, you may call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send April an email, her email address is Ford at joysofyah.com. Now, back to You Are Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life's Challenges. Welcome back to You're Not Alone. I'm April Ford, and as I started with today's show and the preface that I'm operating out of my comfort zone today, and that's really, you know, when we get to learn is when we're out of our comfort zone, I'm still learning about epilepsy. And if you want to send in a segment proposal or an expert guest that you think um, I should invite on my show, go ahead and send me an email. You can send it to April J. Ford at joysofya.com and that's spelled j-o-y-s-o-f-y-a-h.com and our guest today actually she was recommended by a few of our listeners to bring on this topic because unbeknownst to me I didn't know there was a large population out there um, who had this hidden disorder of epilepsy and they feel alone in their um, adversity because it's often misunderstood and unsupported. So the founder of Epilepsy Education Everywhere is our guest today, Megan Kennedy. And Megan, I really, in this segment, I really want to focus on, you know, explain to our listeners what your experience was in being part of the clinical trial and some of the, um, I'll call it the traditional and non-traditional methods of healing and medications um, that you experienced. Yeah, so as I mentioned before, I was 18 when I was diagnosed. And back at that point, um, we're talking 1986, there weren't a lot of options. The only options that were truly available were medication, brain surgery, and um, through my research, I've learned that I would have had the ketogenic diet option available. I just didn't know about it at the time. But there weren't a lot of choices. And even back then, there were only approximately... 
eight to 10 meds on the market. Now there's over 25 medications available on the market for epilepsy. And there are other options that have come about since then too. So I started with medication, of course. My first medication was Tegretol. And most of my medications, I would deal with various side effects. Some side effects were worse than others. I've dealt with anything from weight loss and weight gain. I think one time I lost about 40 pounds and even and even gave away all my clothes and bought a new wardrobe. And the next, you know, a couple of years later when I had to switch meds and went on a new medication, guess what? I gained all that back plus some. So it's, it's very oh, frustrating wow. in that mm-hmm. respect. But I've dealt with dizziness. I've dealt with um, memory issues, um, anorexia. Um, I've even... At one medication, I was actually got nauseous just from the smell of spaghetti on one oh, wow. medication. And now I have these really weird hiccups that they at first thought were a side effect to a medication, but I've been off that med for years, so we don't know why that hiccup's there, but the doctor thought it was a side effect and wanted to get me off. But compared to my other side effects, I could deal with the occasional hiccup. Mm-hmm. So side effects are a big problem for people with epilepsy. And one of my medications also, it wasn't the medication, but it was the combination of the medications I was on. Within six months, and I, I was in my mid-20s at this time, within six months I developed bursitis, tendinitis, thoracic outlet syndrome, and had 13 cavities. I remember oh, wow. going to my doctor and telling him, I'm too young to be feeling this old. Mm-hmm. and we found out that the medications I was on, each of them had a 1% to 2% chance of causing bone and joint disorders, and I happened to be one of those 1% to 2%ers in that case. So needs to say, we got me off the meds, things got better. I still deal with some of those issues today because it's, it's, it happened, but at least I don't deal with it as bad as I did at the time that I was taking the medication, thank goodness. So now, what have a you lot done? Of things I've dealt with. Yeah, what have you done as far as, you know, I call them, you know, taking a non-traditional path or taking a yeah. holistic approach? And I really didn't do the non-traditional path. And the reason I was, I was going to mention is that in the early 90s, I did hear about the ketogenic diet. Um, it had a resurgence then. I found out at the time I thought it was brand new, but... Later on, I found that it actually dates back to the 20s. There's research from the Mayo Clinic for that. And the ketogenic diet is a, is a high-fat, low-carb diet that can be used as a treatment for epilepsy. And since then, they've also developed some other options um, similar to the ketogenic diet that, are, that aren't as restrictive as the Extreme. ketogenic diet right. is. Mm-hmm. I did not try that back in the early 90s simply because I heard it was for kids. Since then, I've learned it's not just for kids. Um, it's for people of all ages can do the ketogenic diet, or there's other ones that include the low glycemic index diet. And I know there's two others that are eluding me at this time. I will mention them later. I did One thing I did do that was probably non-traditional, even though it was medication-based, is I did actually go on a clinical trial. At one point, I had tried almost every medication on the market. Nothing was working, and I was actually considering brain surgery. That's oh, how wow. 
desperate I was. Extreme, yeah. But what about and other, other modalities when, you, when you're talking about the brain? But what about like brainwave therapy where you're listening to, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but like binaural beats or sound therapy, meditation. Did you go down that route to explore? Uh, no, I never actually heard about many of those. What I have heard, what I did do, you know, along the, you know, I guess you say psychological side, I did have time for, I did go through counseling and I do remember the doctor did give me a tape to listen to and just relax. I guess you could consider that along the meditation side, but as you mentioned, the beads, those I haven't heard about Mm -hmm. and everything. So, but over time, there are a lot of things I've learned about, but I, the only reason I haven't tried them, would I try the ketogenic diet or one of the similar diets today? One of them is known as the modified Atkins diet, and that's one that they usually will have adults try. But any of these diets, most people will try a diet on their own. These diets, you want to make sure that you are under a doctor's care and working with a nutritionist. You do not want to try these on your own because it does send your body into what they call ketosis, and they do need yeah. to make sure and make you know that you are that things are under control. That it, even though it's a diet, it can have side effects just like the medication. So that's why you want to make sure and don't try it on your own. Try it with the doctor's care, and right. like I said, have the nutritionist work with you because there are also known what are known as hidden carbs out there. So you might be thinking you're on the diet when you really aren't on the diet. But and also, like you said, I the side effects today, of the combinations, what? right? The side effect of the combinations of of the medications when you mixed um, a couple of the medications together. I missed the first part of your question, April. Oh, I was saying that the also be to be aware of the combination side effects. Like you said, what you went through of, you know, combining medications and trying to switch your nutrition couldn't probably um, add more conflict than resolution and than anything. Right. And that's the other reason to work with the doctor because they know, you know your body, but your doctor knows how those things work and you guys can work together. So you always want to be honest with your doctor. Make sure, I, I know people who are trying um, cannabidiol, CBD, which is a form of medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. And some of them have told their doctors, some of them haven't. It is a controversy right now because it in some states like California, it is, approved to have your medical marijuana card, but other states it's not. And there are families who their child has hundreds of seizures a day. And I've heard stories where the CBD worked, but then I've also heard stories where it doesn't work. So like anything else, it works for some and not for others, just like the medication. But it's not FDA approved. We There is a group called Realm of Caring that does have a lot of information on that, that um, we recommend people go to research if they're considering it as a treatment, but you do want to make sure and take the one that's high in CBD because the CBD is the medicinal side of uh, cannabidiol cannabis versus the THC, which is the, gives you the psychotropic effect. Um, You don't want, we don't want you to get high. We want you to get the medicinal side. (laughs) Right. Right. And I like how you pointed out that you should be honest with your, your doctor on actually you know, what's going on, what happened in the event so they can properly, you know, diagnose you and give you a a plan to correct and give you a better quality of life. I know. Everyone tries to self-diagnose these days, especially with the Internet. Um, There's a lot of good information on the Internet, but you also, as as a, my prior career was a librarian, so as a librarian, you also have to remember not everything on the Internet is true. 
Mm-hmm. And just because it works for someone doesn't mean it's going to work for you. So that's why you want to work with your doctor. And don't hide things from them because if you're taking something on the side to try and make things better and they give you something else, they might be giving you something that can be contradictory to that or work, you know, you know, work against it, basically, is what right. I'm trying to say. So that's why you want to make sure and be honest with your doctor. But there's a lot of options out there from the medication is typically the first option, except in some cases they will. They have shown that the ketogenic diet does work best with some syndrome, so they will just go straight to the ketogenic diet with the child versus trying the medication because they know that the med- certain syndromes do not work with the medications, and they've shown that over the years. But then there's the cannabidiol, which, again, as I said, is a very controversial issue, but that is an option for people, and mm-hmm. I've heard of people. One, one lady I met, her daughter went from having seizures every day of her life to having seizures maybe one or two days a week once she went on CBD. Oh, But again, that doesn't work for everyone. But she Mm -hmm. was showing pictures of her daughter all slumped over in the wheelchair and everything to her daughter actually having a smile on her face and having a better quality of life. Mm -hmm. So it is an option that we let people know about. But again, we want to make sure people do their research before considering anything like that. And there are also safety devices out there. Those safety devices weren't around when I was diagnosed. And, of course, the safety devices, though, even though they're out there, are only good for um, tonic-clonic seizures, unfortunately. Nothing yet for complex partial seizures, which is what I have. The, some of these so what are devices, these devices? Do you, do you yeah, wear it like a necklace a or a bracelet? Well, yeah, one of them is a smart monitor, which is a motion-sensing watch. And oh, okay. so if you start having a seizure, it is preset so that it will make a phone call for you as well as send up to 10 text messages and it'll tell people where you are located. And they just came out with a new version that is not only waterproof but a little sleeker and a little more streamlined. Mm. So So it's almost like a heart rate monitor when it... Yeah, but this one is sensing motion. All of these are some type of motion sensing device and that's why they work with the tonic-clonic seizures when people are jerking around. One of them is a video camera that people can put in their bedroom, so for people who are prone to having seizures at night, and it's called the SAMI camera, and it will then send a trigger to a caretaker that the person in the other room is having a seizure and needs help. So you can go in and get help to the person and help things from happening, such as SUDEP or other issues happening during a seizure. So the sooner people can get help, the better. The other one is the MFIT movement monitor, which is also to be used at night, and it goes between the mattresses. And again, it'll send the um, caretaker a signal saying, hey, um, the person in the other room needs help. Please go help them now, and you can get there and help them quicker. Oh. And Are these fairly the other- new on the market? It almost sounds like the the baby monitors that you put on a baby's crib. And you can think of it that way. Yeah, yeah, that's probably what led people to develop these. But this first one, the, the MFIT, was developed around 2003, 2004, Sammy only came out around three years ago after winning the Shark Tank version um, of the competition. They do it at the Pipeline Conference. They do a Shark Mm -hmm. Tank competition every year, and they won the event about three years ago. And so they got funding to help develop their product. And the Smart Monitor came out, I believe it was 2008 or 2009. And as I said, they just came out with a new one. There's another one that's about to come out called Embrace, and it's a watch 
similar to the smartwatch, but I haven't, I've only seen pictures of it. I haven't seen one physically, so it's a little harder for me to tell you what it, what it's like. And it's, it's been in development and been through trials and all that. So now they're actually going to be bringing it out to the market here in the next few months. And there's also various, um, there's one that's in the works called shower power so that people taking a shower, if they fall and have a seizure during the shower, it will shut the shower off and again, send the signal saying, hey, they need help in the shower, go help them. And that was started after a father started developing that after his daughter fell in the shower during a seizure and almost drowned. Mm. So all of these things are things that are going to help people with epilepsy as, as time goes on. And there's always more things that are in development. And one of my favorite ones is I, wanna, I can't wait to see shower power come out of the market, and that's because of what happened to me in the tub. Mm-hmm. I I know how it, I guess that one hits closest to home, but well, yeah, the, I mean we all know that adjunct therapies. There's a lot now. of drownings even with um, kids, and it only takes literally one or even two feet of water. Not because they don't know how to swim, maybe as a toddler or whatever, but it's just because you, you can't breathe. Nobody can breathe if you're drowning in water, especially if you're in you know having um, a seizure. So it's not the amount of water; it's just the fact. Well, that- and it's not just. It's not just children. A friend of mine, we were at the beach a few weeks ago, and I saw a crowd of people. And at first I thought maybe there was a whale out in the ocean. I was looking. I go, well, what are they looking at? And then I heard a siren, and I'm like, I got to go check because I didn't see him. And sure enough, someone had, he had had a seizure in the water. Someone had pulled him out of the water, and he was um, coughing up water there on the beach. So luckily someone had seen him in time before things got, you know, even worse for him. So it happens to people of all ages, not just children, where things like that can happen too. But the other things out there right now are the vagus nerve stimulator and the responsive neuropace stimulator. And these are both adjunct therapies. They both do require some surgery. The vagus nerve stimulator was first made available in 1998, and it is basically a pacemaker for your brain, where it goes into your chest like a pacemaker, mm-hmm. and it, it's hooked up to the vagus nerve, and it sends regular pulses to the brain. They just came out with a new version called Aspire, which is going to be responsive based on your heart rate. So they've just come out with that one last month, actually. And then the responsive neuropace simulator was approved back in 2013, and that one is an implant in your skull in which they put two leads into your brain based on where your seizures originate from. And so when it detects seizure activity through your brain waves, it sends a pulse to stop the seizures in their track. So mm-hmm. both of those are not initial treatments. Those are used as adjunct therapies when people have shown that they can't get control with medication. Mm-hmm. Those are options that they use to add on to the med- with the medication. Okay. So they aren't so, go-to yeah. therapies, but they are options for people that weren't available years ago. So as you said, this is all fairly new. All of this has happened in the last 20 years. Wow. And like I said, it's, it's still developing, but with the um, safety devices that are available out there, there are at least something, you know, for 
people to have to have at least a good quality of life in, in controlling or managing their epilepsy. So in our last few minutes here, Megan, tell us a little bit more about the organization that you started, Epilepsy Education Everywhere. Does it mainly focus on some of the topics that we mentioned about just creating the awareness out there in the public, or is it really creating a community within the, you know, those who are suffering from this hidden disorder because of the, the shame or the, the, the fear of discrimination? Are you more for the awareness or building a community? Both, actually. Okay. Um, our, our, our focus is twofold. The, the, initially, our primary goal was simply education and awareness. And that was because there were there 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 was a local group that had some support groups going, but there was no epilepsy foundation affiliate that covers our area. That's what got me to start epilepsy education everywhere. So we wanted to focus on the education awareness because this other group was already doing support groups and and an annual conference for people with epilepsy. As time has gone on, though, we've been getting more and more calls from people with epilepsy. So initially. And while ongoing, we're always going to be doing outreach through presentations, through Facebook, through um, health fairs, you know, any opportunity that basically comes our way. We, I even Skyped with someone in, in Thailand once, and we've emailed people in Australia and Norway and India who mm-hmm. have come to us with questions, just to name a few places. But as time goes on, we've been getting more and more questions from people with epilepsy and um, the other support groups that were already in place in our area have unfortunately dwindled. And the biggest question we get is, do you have a support group? So just last week we had, we, we launched what we are calling the Epilepsy Lifeline and Support Series. And that is a combination of speaker series, support groups, and group outings for people with epilepsy. So anyone is welcome to come to the speaker series to learn more. And the speaker series topics aren't just going to relate to epilepsy, but to people with disabilities, because epilepsy is a disability that is covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Now tell our listeners where to go, Megan. Where can they go to find out the events or to participate in the support group or to volunteer as an advocate in our closing minutes here? Where can they go? So our website is epilepsyed.org. We're always posting new information on Facebook and Twitter, and our hashtag is EpilepsyEd on Twitter, and it's just facebook.com slash EpilepsyEd. But people can go onto our, onto our website, sign up for our newsletter. When we have special events coming up, we're, we send out a, a, a newsletter every couple of months, but we also send out a, a news brief when we have a special event coming up. So people can go on there. They can go to our website to learn about events. They can also go to our website to see about volunteer opportunities. And we do have volunteer opportunities that you don't have to be local to volunteer for all of the things that we need help with. Some things like going and doing outreach, yeah, you need to be a little local. But other things, um, if you're a graphic designer, hey, we can use your help. If you're an accountant, we can use your help, and you can do that from the comfort of your own home, you know. Well, I want so to thank you. Yeah, I want yeah. to thank you, Megan, for being on our show. Like I said, I, I appreciate the awareness and knowledge that you brought on our show today. And hopefully that will add to the awareness for the population out there with this hidden disorder to give them comfort that 
they're not al- alone in this and they shouldn't feel any shame or discrimination as more support groups like your organizations are out there making a difference. And I congratulate you on your global reach in doing that. So for all of our listeners, that is our show for today. Epilepsy didn't seize Megan's day and don't let it seize yours. Know that you're not alone. I'm your host, April J. Ford here on Voice America. And I share my story on this show so that others can share their stories and have their glory so that they don't have to experience the extremities of what I face, but would be able to take the fruit of my adversities and prosper with it. I give my permission to allow people to borrow my belief and faith, and I give my love and light so that others can illuminate theirs. I share my joys and blessings so that others can share theirs and let others know you are not alone. And make sure you go to feeljoyagain.com to receive your free weekly words of joy and information on how you can take part in the four steps to create a roadmap to success for you. Know that there's gold to be discovered in our challenges. You're not alone. Get inspired, uplifted, and empowered every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Pacific, here on Voice America. We appreciate your joining us this week for You Are Not Alone. Please tune in for another edition with host April J. Ford next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait to talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.